This sermon, True Wisdom, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, May 9th, 2021 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, open your Bibles, if you're not there yet, to James 3. For, you, for those visiting, we are preaching through the book of James, really the, the Proverbs of the New Testament. Uh, lots of do's, over 50 commands. James is blunt and clear, continually uh, talking about how we should be pursuing holiness in our lives, but at the same time, the gospel is all over the page of this wonderful letter, as we will see again today. So if you will stand with me, we're, gonna, uh, we're going to limit ourselves to chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. So stand and let's read together, beginning in verse 13. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good works, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Maybe seated. <clears throat> Lord, this is your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to embrace it. Help us to love and cherish it. And help us to be doers of it. Not out of duty, but out of gratitude and delight in the one who has saved us from our sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in today's text, James is revisiting the topic of wisdom. If you remember back in chapter 1, James talked about wisdom, and in the context of chapter 1, particularly, he talked about wisdom in trials. Do you remember what he said? He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, he doesn't say dig deep, he said pray. Pray with a heart of faith, and God will provide the wisdom you need generously. I don't know about you, but what a just revisiting that pat that that verse this week. What a wonderful and comforting promise, particularly in the midst of trial and suffering. That God bids us, He invites us. If you need wisdom, and it's really James knows we all need wisdom. Pray. Go to God, and he will give it to you generously. Well, James is once again drawing our attention to wisdom. This time, as, uh, as we'll see as we move through the text, this time it's really primarily in the context of relationships. Wisdom in how we relate to one another. And these verses couldn't be more relevant. 
We're created in the image of God, aren't we? And as one's created in the image of God, we, 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 are, we are beings that relate to one another. Just as God from eternity past is a relating God first to the persons of the Trinity, God the Son and God the Spirit, so being, being created in his image, we, we are relational beings. We, we all have relationships. And we need to right up front acknowledge something about relationships. They are messy, aren't they? They are messy. And they, they are messy because we are sinners. And as sinners, we, we have the ability to do significant damage to ourselves and those who we are in relationship with. So this is an important text. This is a relevant text. And, and, and I think it's probably safe to assume that each one of us, each one of us has at least one relationship where, where we are struggling right now, where we would say, Lord, give me wisdom. Who is that for you this morning? Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's somebody at work. But what face comes into your head that you would say, Lord, I need wisdom when it comes to my relationship with this person. I want us to start out that way because I believe that when God's people gather like this, God's spirit is uniquely present and eager, uniquely present and eager to do a unique work. And I think that God wants us to experience his powerful grace in the relationship that you are thinking about even right now. Because reflecting Christ as we relate to others is one of the greatest ways that we bring glory to God. It's one of the greatest ways that we bring joy to one another. And it's one of the greatest ways that we set ourselves apart from the world around us, shining light into darkness. So I have two points this morning. The first one is wisdom, true wisdom defined. And then second, true wisdom demonstrated. We'll hit some application along the way. So let's look what James says first. He, he gives us, he shows us true wisdom defined. You'll notice how he begins in verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? James kind of puts forth a, a, a rhetorical question here, but, but in essence, he's asking, how do you recognize wisdom? How do you know who a wise person is? What does that look like, right? How do you spot someone who is wise? We, always, we all love to have wise people in our lives, right? I just, you know, young fathers, I need a wise older father who's been there, done that in my life. Same thing with, you know, if you asked all these, all these young people up here, what, what, what are one of the things you just feel your need for in parenting? I think most would say, just having wiser, older moms and dads in my life that can point me to truth and encourage me in the grace of the gospel as I parent my child. Well, how do you know? How do you spot wisdom? I think that, that, that uh, if we're honest, wisdom can be difficult to define with words. I think that it's a little bit like something like passion, 
I don't know if I could define passion to you, but I can recognize it in someone. I can point it out. I can go, that's a passionate person. Tim is a passionate person. There you go. That's what passion looks like. It's a godly passion. No, I'm just kidding. Right? I think wisdom is a little bit like that. It can be hard to to find with words, but we can go, look, that is wisdom on display. That's a wise person. And that's what James does for us. Notice what he says in verse 13. He puts forth this rhetorical question, and then he answers it. Who is wise and understanding among you? And notice what he says. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, James, you see what he's doing here? He's pointing. He's saying, here's here's how you tell, by conduct. Look at somebody's life. You want to know who the wise person is? Look at somebody's life. James is making a clear connection between wisdom and works. You know the wise man. How? By their conduct. By their life. For James, wisdom is about doing. Wisdom is revealed in how one lives their life. That's important. I think it's, it's so common, isn't it, for us to, to look for wisdom in the intellect. The truth is, you, you, you can be the smartest person in this room. You can have the highest IQ. You can have a degree from Princeton or Harvard or whatever your choice is. And according to Scripture, still be a fool. <laughs> Not be wise at all. You might be smart, but, but James isn't talking about being smart here. He's talking about wisdom. You see, wisdom is about the intellect. Wisdom is moral. Wisdom is about righteousness. And according to James, wisdom is defined by godly action. The true wise person has already been identified for us in chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. The wise person is the one who is a doer of the word. And so James, in verse 13, can say, you want to know who's wise? Watch their conduct. Look at their life. Because wisdom is something that is not merely defined with words, but it is worked out in life. And No doubt, James probably didn't come up with this on his own. I think he probably learned it from his brother, Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? Everyone then who hears these words of mine, he doesn't say and commits them to memory. He doesn't say can expound on them. He says everyone who does these words of mine or hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then he goes on and says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. In other words, is a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. The one who has it all up here, but it's not being fleshed out in their life, that one, the Savior says, is like a foolish man who built his house on the rock on the sand. 
Do you see what Jesus is saying? James and Jesus are in agreement. The wise man hears my words and does them. True wisdom is putting the knowledge of God's word into practice. True wisdom is living God's way in God's world, especially in our relationships. And listen, you'll know the wise person when you see them. They will stand out, won't they? In verse 13, again, James says, by his good conduct, let him show his works. And then what does he say next? In the meekness of his wisdom. In other words, this wisdom is characterized by something. These actions, this this godly life is characterized by meekness. Meekness just means it's humility. It's gentleness. Of course, to the Greeks, and in our society today as well, meekness was weakness. Meekness was not something that was celebrated, but in God's kingdom, meekness is beautiful. Meekness is attractive. And it's those things because true meekness reflects the heart of Jesus. Jesus said this about himself in in Matthew 11, verse 28. Do you remember when he said, come to me? Why? For I am gentle and lowly. Those two words are code for meekness. We celebrate meekness because our Savior was meek. Meekness is beautiful to us because it reflects the heart of Jesus in us. It reflects the heart of the one whom we love because he first loved us. It reflects the heart of the one that we desire to be like more and more through the sanctifying grace of God. And so as we move forward in light of verse 13, if we have to define true wisdom that's from above with words, I think we can define it this way in light of verse 13. True wisdom is putting the knowledge of God's word into practice with humility and gentleness. That's true wisdom. Taking the knowledge of God's word, putting it into practice in our lives, in humility and gentleness, or as James says, with meekness. So, true wisdom defined. Now, James quickly moves on to show us what true wisdom looks like demonstrated. What does it look like on display? Having defined true wisdom, he shows us what it looks like, and he takes this not this but this approach. So, Notice what he says first in verse 14. He says, true wisdom is not this. What is true wisdom not? Notice verse 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. Remember James' concern here. 
It's relationships. We're going to see that clearly next week as he shows us what, what true wisdom looks like in the midst of quarrels and conflicts. And he says here that the opposite of what characterizes true wisdom in our relationships is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, I want to briefly unpack those. I think we understand those, but we'll briefly unpack them. But but before we do, I want to encourage all of us to do something this morning. As I unpack these, be sensitive to the active presence of the Holy Spirit right now. If, if, you, if you feel conviction, as I explain these, if you say, that's me, that's me with this person, <clears throat> repent. Right where you're at. Tune me out and say, oh, Lord, this is, this is, this is me. Forgive me. If you have to tune me out, tune me out. But, but God wants to change our hearts this morning. He wants us to turn from false wisdom to true wisdom. And the beginning of, the, of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9, 10. And the beginning of the fear of the Lord is to, to understand his holiness and our sinfulness and come to him in repentance, even as a Christian, to come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. So let's be sensitive to the Spirit. Now, at the heart of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is one thing, you and I, right? It's me. Me. I have something, or you have something, and I don't. Jealousy, and I want it. And because I don't have it, I'm not going to rejoice with you about God's goodness in your life. I may even resent you for it. I may begin to treat you differently because you have something that I want, but I don't have. See, bitter jealousy in a relationship, it's, it's all about me what I think I deserve, what I think I should have coming. And when that thing, whatever it is, gets so big in my heart, then I'll even take it out on you. (laughs) Resenting you for God's goodness and provision in your life. That's what bitter jealousy is all about. He warns us against selfish ambition. I'm going to promote my opinions. I'm going to promote my preferences, my position, my advantages, regardless, regardless of how it affects you, regardless of what it means for the people around me, regardless of the impact on our relationship. Regardless of how, how it affects my wife. Selfish 
ambition. It's, it's all about me. But whether it's a family member, a peer at school, a coworker, or maybe even someone right here in this room, someone in your church, selfish ambition says, I deserve something and I will get it, and if I don't, no one else should. And I'm going to do whatever's necessary to get it. Listen, don't, don't think that James is saying all ambition is wrong. It's not. But we are called to have a godly ambition. At the heart of our ambition should be the glory of God, not our earthly gain or good. At the heart of our ambitions, they should be driven by a crucified and risen Savior who, as we've heard this morning, has given us life. Our ambition as the Apostle Paul's and as James' ambition was isn't about doing something. It is a person. Our ambition is to know Christ, to be in Christ, even as Paul said in Galatians 3, to suffer as Christ suffered, that we might know him and be like him more and more. So listen, ambition is good. James warns us against a misappropriated, a, a misinformed ambition, a sinful ambition, a worldly ambition, a selfish ambition. You know, that is the wisdom of the world, though, isn't it? I mean, the wisdom of the world is you only go around once, so make it a good go-around, right? The wisdom of the world says when things get tough, circle your wagons, you got to take care of yourself. The wisdom of the world says, I deserve it if anybody does. The wisdom of the world says, take what you can get now because your time is running out. The wisdom of the world says, I did it my way. And it's understandable. Because if God doesn't exist in your world, a world without God, what else is there (laughs) except for me and all I can get and have and be in this short life? But you know, James puts this here because even as Christians, he knows, he knows that you, you, you don't have to you don't have to be at that place where you deny the existence of God to be characterized by selfish ambition. He knows that even as Christians, fully forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit, that we are not immune. We are not immune to things like selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. You, you, you hear us say this all the time, and we will keep saying it. The penalty of sin was paid by Jesus at the cross, and the power of sin was broken in the empty tomb, but the presence of indwelling sin remains because we are still living out this wonderful salvation in a fallen world. And so, yes, are my sins forgiven, but I am in a fight the, 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 the battle has been won. The victory is sure, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But yet every day that that alarm clock goes up, I must 
I must fight, especially in my relationships. Jealousy and selfish ambition. So James warns us. Look at verse 15. He says, This is not wisdom that is selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Uh, I love how James just says it. These things, not wisdom from the Lord. Not true wisdom. What are they? They're earthly, they're unspiritual, they're demonic. He kind of puts forth this unholy trinity, if you will, that every believer is up against the world, the flesh, and Satan himself. Selfish ambition and and bitter jealousy. Those are the things of this world. Those are the things of the devil. Those are the things that, that, that are of our flesh. It's not true wisdom. And the fruit, the fruit of this fake wisdom, if you will. James says it's, it's a disorder. It's every vile practice. Anger and malice toward one another. Bitterness and resentment. Slander and uncharitable judgment. James, in chapter 4, verse 1, he's going to give us an example. Quarrels and conflicts where you get so angry, you, you want to kill each other. That's the fruit and effect. Notice James doesn't even call it wisdom. <laughs> he doesn't even say worldly wisdom. I think James doesn't even want to give it that kind of legit, legitimacy. But that's the fruit and effect of what is the opposite of true wisdom. Now listen, be honest for a moment. I've had to be honest all week. Sometimes I hate being honest. <laughs> How often do these things, jealousy and selfish ambition, bitterness, anger, malice, how often do those sins characterize your relationships? I'm tired of hurting people. Are you? I'm tired of words that come out of my mouth that cut at the heart of my wife. I'm tired of hurting my kids because I'm focused on myself. I'm tired of hurting you. Because too often I want to follow what I think is my wisdom. tired of hurting people who that God has graciously put in my life, and I hope you are too. And maybe it's that person who came to mind early on. 
need to listen to James here. We need to heed his exhortation. Because as he said, if we don't, then it just leads to disorder and every sinful practice. And we just look like the world. <laughs> that hit me this week. And it hit me pretty hard. And that's why I love the first word of verse 17. Look at it. But. Oh, what a precious word. But. Those three letters signal that James is about to tell us there is a better way. There is a better way to relate to one another. And you know what? Here's some more good news. It's not a way that we have to pioneer. (laughs) It's not a way that we have to figure out. The way that James is about to show us has been forged for us already in a man named Jesus. There is another B-U-T in Scripture. Ephesians 2, 4. But... Being, but God, being rich in mercy, saved us in Christ. None of us were wise. None of us were holy. None of us were worthy. That's not how we got here. God chose us when we were foolish. Paul says that over and over again to the Corinthians. He chose us When we were foolish, our salvation is all of grace. And so James is writing to believers, and he has all the hope in the world for them to put off the the false wisdom and and to look to true wisdom from above, not only because he knows his God is faithful, but because he knows that that the cross is there. Christ has went before us. And when he was finished with his earthly ministry, he sent us his spirit so that we could follow in his footsteps. Oh, church, this B-U-T, don't look beyond that here. That is a powerful word. James turns the corner. So everything that follows the but in verse 17 is possible only in Christ. And before we even start going through these, I just want you to know, are we called to make a conscious effort in the Christian life? Yes. Obedience is a mark of spiritual maturity. But the marks of Christ in us are not ultimately the fruit of our conscious efforts to obey. They are the fruit and effects of a transformed heart filled with a fresh heavenly affection and the all-powerful Holy Spirit. And that is what moves us to embrace what comes after the but in verse 17. So don't approach this B-U-T apart from Christ. 
if you're here this morning, you're not a believer, wisdom for you begins by humbling yourself and recognizing before the Lord that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. If you can point to one time in your life where you have been jealous, you're done. (laughs) That's what the New Testament teaches us. Such is the holiness of God and the law of Christ. One act of unruliness, and you are under the wrath of God. But, as Colossians 1 says, Christ nailed, or God nailed the sins of his people to the tree that Christ hung on. And when we come to Christ in repentance, turning from our sins and having faith in Jesus Christ, and that only the fruit of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, when we do that, Romans 10 says that God is faithful to save. God is faithful to to apply that which he accomplished through his son Jesus Christ to your hearts. And now, the B-U-T of verse 17 is for you. So, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is our wisdom, 1 Corinthians 1.29, and in whom we have all the treasures of wisdom, Colossians 2.3, let's expand on these for a moment. As we do, just like I mentioned earlier, be sensitive to the Spirit. Keep evaluating. Ask yourself, do I see these things that James is mentioning in my marriage and in my friendships? Do they characterize the way that I relate to others? So first, James says, this is true wisdom from above. True wisdom is first pure. James starts with purity, and that shouldn't surprise us because he's writing this letter. The very purpose for his writing this letter is so that so that we would pursue holiness. The goal is holiness for James, for the glory of God. That's the point. And so James starts, true wisdom is pure. It's from above. True wisdom. In some senses, this is an expression of the character of God that, by the way, is revealed for us right here. You want to find true wisdom right here. God's word rooted in God's character. This is our connection, church, to true wisdom, to God's wisdom right here. He reveals his ways and his purposes that keep us walking in righteousness, particularly in our relationships. So so when we align our lives with God's word by the grace of God at work in us, we are walking in wisdom, wisdom that is righteous and wisdom that is pure because it flows from the very nature of God. And here's what that means. It means that every relationship that you have Even the one that you feel like, I really need help here. 
it means that God's word speaks to it. It means you go here. You go here. Which, by the way, tells us to begin James 1.5. Pray and ask God for that wisdom. How do I get wisdom in the, that relationship with my coworker? What does God's word say? Well, it says pray. Ask for that wisdom. So this book is our connection. And when we give ourselves to it, when we give ourselves to it, we are walking in true wisdom, pure wisdom, because it's wisdom from above that flows from the character and infinite wisdom of God himself. Second, he says the true wisdom is peaceable. That is, true wisdom loves peace. It, it is peace-loving. That's a good translation there. True wisdom is peace-loving. True wisdom looks for peace, not, not by abdication or avoidance. I'm just not going to talk to that person. No. But even in the midst of conflict, True wisdom is marked by this disposition of of being a peacemaker. True wisdom, true wisdom looks for the path of peace. True wisdom, even in a conflict that seems like it's raging out of control, true wisdom stops and says, what's the direction of peace. And you know where that begins? That begins at the cross where the Prince of Peace gave his life for us. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got for my marriage, but it applies to all relationships, is Derek, when you are in a conflict with your wife, be the first to run to the cross. <laughs> The first one to the cross wins. And what that person meant was, it is so easy to be focused on your wife. It is so easy to say they're just not listening. It is so easy to say they need to change, not me. He says, don't do that. That won't get you anywhere. That's about you. He says, no. Be the first one to run to the cross and acknowledge your own sinfulness. And he said, you know, a funny, things happens, a funny thing happens at the cross. When you are at the foot of the cross, where your Savior bore your sins, took the wrath that you deserve upon himself, something happens. You become pretty humble pretty quick. You realize it's not about me. And it can transform how you're thinking about that other person. And it will set you on a path to peace. That's not a guarantee peace will happen. That's not, that's not the point. But it will set you on a path to peace. And this is about us, not the other person. It, it begins with us. Christ wants to do work in me. And perhaps my wife too, but for sure in me. Ephesians 4.3 says that an eagerness, that we should have an eagerness to guard the union of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
Romans 14, 29 says, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Romans 12, 18 says, resolve to, if possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably, peaceably with all. You see, true wisdom loves peace. True wisdom is also gentle, James says. True wisdom from above is gentle. It's considerate. It's kind. It's patient. It's not harsh or demanding, even when wronged. And this is not about personality. Let's not make that mistake. Well, I'm just not wired that way. I'm not a very gentle person. I'm passionate. Sometimes my passion can just be a little overbearing, but that's how God made me. This isn't a personality trait. This is a fruit of the Spirit. This is a work of God. It's a disposition of the heart shaped by the gentle nature of Jesus. Shaped by the gentle nature of Jesus that is continually being poured out toward us. Our Savior was and is gentle. Just think this week about how gentle he is with you. So true wisdom from him is gentle then. He says it's open to reason. True wisdom, open to reason, is willing to listen. It's the opposite of arrogant stubbornness. True wisdom is is willing to be persuaded. It's willing to admit I'm wrong. I've been seeing this wrong. You're right. The truly wise person is teachable. Willing to submit or yield when appropriate and necessary. Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. (laughs) I don't know if stupid is the most gentle word. (laughs) Come on, Solomon. (laughs) But do you see what he's saying there? The wise person receives reproof, receives correction, open to reason. Let let me ask you a question. How how do you respond when somebody brings an observation to you or a correction? There's a lot of ways we can. Okay, thanks. Okay. (laughs) Or we turn the tables. I understand what you're saying, but you know what? Or, and I can be given to this one, we justify ourselves, right? Well, hold on, hold on. (laughs) You don't understand. That's not wisdom. That's arrogance. That's certainly not meekness. It's pride. 
James says true wisdom is open to reason. He says true wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. That, that is true wisdom acts on the needs of others. It has compassion for others. It is aware of others' feelings and struggles and acts accordingly. In a situation this week where I just, the Lord used somebody to show me that I didn't act in a very compassionate way as I was dealing with them. Thank you for forgiveness that flows from Calvary and that that sin will not be counted against me. He goes on to say, finally, the true wisdom from above is impartial and sincere. No favorites. No wavering. No superficial distinctions as James has already warned us against. No hypocrisy. No double tongue. No just playing a part. True wisdom is sincere genuine and recognizes that everybody's created in the image of God. It's not partial. It's not given over to common pursuits. James says that these, these are the demonstrations of true wisdom in the eyes of the Lord. It's these not that. True wisdom from above isn't, isn't characterized by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy and every other vile practice. No. It's these things. How do you know who a truly wise person is? Well, do they relate? Do these things characterize their lives? Do they characterize their relationships? And if they do, notice what James says in verse 18. He says, the fruit and effect is what? And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Who doesn't want that? Boy, is that not the opposite of every vile practice and disorder. Lord, give me peace and a harvest of righteousness in my marriage. Amen? Give me, give me a harvest of righteousness and peace in my relationship with my kids. Give me a harvest of righteousness and peace in my relationship with my coworkers, in my relationship with my community group leader, in my relationship with my pastors, in my relationship with, with the person sitting behind me and in front of me. That's our prayer, that the Lord would build these things in us, that, that yes, even in the midst of conflict, that, that we would be able to walk in true wisdom. James is not saying true wisdom is the total absence of conflict. He's going to show us what true wisdom looks like in the midst of conflict in chapter 4. 
but he holds out such a wonderful promise here. Yes, even in the midst of conflict, you can be one who walks in true wisdom. And your life be a harvest of righteousness in the eyes of the Lord. Being a peacemaker, a humble and meek peacemaker. I want us to end by going back to the promise in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's how I want to end. I want to end in a different way. I found a prayer that I, I just, the Lord immediately laid it on my heart that I want to lead us in as we close. It's a prayer for, heavenly, for the heavenly wisdom of God to pour out into our lives. So if you would stand. And let's just take an attitude of prayer as I pray this to close. Lord, in light of these words in James 3, 13 through 18, we pray. We pray that you will make us pure in our moral lives and in the purity of our devotion to you. With all our hearts, we desire the first named characteristics of wisdom, the foundational element of wisdom from above. We pray that you will further fill us with heaven's wisdom, making us peaceable, Lord. Give us your peace and help us promote peace with our brothers and sisters and co-workers and spouses and children. God, we, we ask you to make us gentle so that we will make allowances for the weakness of others and will be reasonable and kind in all our dealings with difficult people. Make us open to reason so that we will submit to reason, abandoning unthinking stubbornness and be open to the changing of our minds when we are wrong. Lord, heaven's wisdom we know is full of mercy and good fruits, compassion that brings merciful action. Help us to go beyond pity and sentiment so that we do merciful acts, becoming the hands of Christ to others. Grant us the wisdom to be impartial, unwavering in respect to biblical principles so our lives will exude fairness. Finally, Lord, make us sincere, clear-eyed, honest, forthright, without masks, so others will perceive the wisdom of Christ in us. Lord, give us this wisdom from heaven. We ask and we pray for it abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen.